Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out? You're going to go to two different uh, texts this morning. I want you to go uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 6 and to Lamentations chapter 3. We're going Old Testament today. Isn't that good? We're going Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and Lamentations chapter 3. And as you are uh, turning there this morning, um, I do want to say uh, a big thank you uh, to uh, Dr. Owen Bozeman for preaching uh, for me uh, last uh, Sunday. Can we give him a hand clap of praise? I thought he did a... I thought he did a fantastic job. I thought he did a, a presented a, a very, a very good message. As a matter of fact, um, I, I believe this with all of my heart. I believe um, that when Owen preached here last Sunday, I truly believe um, that it was a divine appointment. I truly believe that. And I don't say that lightly. Um, I don't use that, that term very often. But, but I believe last Sunday was a divine appointment. Uh, for Owen to be here last week. And I'll tell you why. Um, whenever I called him on Wednesday or Thursday, whenever I was, uh, when I tested uh, positive for everybody's famous uh, favorite virus, COVID, um, which I'm, I'm much better now, thank you, thank you for your prayers and emails and texts, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, but when I, when I called him and said, hey, will you come preach for me, are you available? He said, yes. And one, I was grateful for that. And two, I began to explain to him what the series I'd been going through, Just Be, uh, becoming a person that God uses in 2022. And we, I told him we talked about being prepared, being prayerful, um, and being passionate. And I told him that, you know, I was going to talk about being present. And uh, as soon as I told him that, he just died laughing. He knew that I wasn't going to be present to speak on being present. And so uh, then I said, Owen, oh, you, you don't have to stay in the series. You can, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. You can preach about whatever you want to preach about. And he said, you know, Chris, I just finished preaching or writing a message on, on marriage. And when he said marriage, um, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I began to weep. I began to tear up. I began to weep. I began to tear up because, because I believe God's doing something. I, I, I began to weep. I began to cry. And I told Owen, I was like, Owen, that's going to be perfect because I, I firmly believe that this is a divinely appointed time for you to be here. And I began to tell him. That last week, a couple of weeks ago, we did a series, our sermon on Be Prayerful, and we talked about turning our impossibles into what? Into impossibles. And we had several of you, many of you, fill out a impossible prayer card, and I'm telling him this story. And I said, oh, and the, one of the top impossibles in our church right now is this, marriage restoration. That's one of the top things that, that you are declaring that that's an impossible that needs to be a him possible. So when he said, now I just finished writing a message on marriage, I mean, I knew right then that this is a divinely inspired moment. I mean, I don't know about you, but it brings great comfort to me to know that God knows what we're going through. Amen? Are, are you with me? Does it bring you great comfort to know that our God, our supreme God, our omniscient, our omnipresence, our God knows exactly what we're going through? That he knew 
that we needed to hear something related to marriage. And so uh, I, I, was, I was in awe, and so I'm just thankful uh, that God is moving on behalf of your impossibles to turn them into impossibles. And I got to tell you this, so far, um, we've had that I know of, we have had two of the him possibles answered already. Can we give a hand clap of praise for that? Well, well, it's God is God is alive and doing some things that, that maybe we not see, but He's working in the in the spiritual realm, and I'm so thankful for that. Well, today we jump back into our series called Just Be Becoming a Person That God Uses in 2022. Um, and today I am uh, speaking on being present. Next week, we'll finish our series, and then the week after that, um, we will jump into a new series uh, on Luke, uh, talking about Jesus, the man, the myth, the Messiah. And so you want to be a part of that. And again, immediately following our message this morning, we will go into uh, the Lord's uh, Supper. But uh, let me give you some context here. Why be present? Several weeks ago, really in the month of December, as I was praying through this series, praying what God wanted for 2022, as most of us, we make New Year's resolutions, God put a phrase on my heart. And it was directly related to be present. And God put this phrase on my heart. I haven't shared this phrase with anybody, but this will be but you today. And that phrase was this, put down the device, pick up the Savior. Put down the device and pick up the Savior. I think all of us know how much time we spend on our devices. Amen? If you don't know, your device will tell you how much screen time you have been in over the week. Amen? I got one this morning. But the Spirit just said, put down the device Put on the Savior. Get in with the Savior. And I'll be honest with you, that's the stimulus, that's the prompting behind this series of Just Be. Really, this this sermon here. Be present. I can think of many examples, and you know of them as well, where you go to a sporting event And you look behind the action, you look into the stands, you look into the fans, and what are they all doing? They're holding up their device, and they're recording the action, or they're going to take a picture of the action, right? I've done that before, but can I tell you, I've never watched the video of that action that I recorded. I rarely even look at the pictures, And I see that, and and I think of the times, I think of, because we're connected so much to the device, we miss all the action, because we're not present. Now, I know that God can use technology for the good, amen? He can use it for the good, and many of the younger generations, the younger generation uh, had the ability, the know-with-all to to use technology for the glory of God, and I'm all for that 100%, but I'm also all in about putting down the device and picking up the Savior. Where that we are present with the Lord, that we spend 
time in the presence of the Almighty. Be present. This past week, as, um, as I was uh, in quarantine, as soon as I found out that I was tested, that I tested positive, uh, my wife and girls sent me off to quarantine land. We have a mother-in-law suite in our house, and um, uh, they, they sent me there and shut the door. <laughs> Left enough room for bread and water to be pushed in underneath the, ta- the door. <laughs> um, and, and for the first couple of days, I'll be honest with you, I, I did not mind being quarantined. I didn't feel good. I had a fever, had a cough, had a sore throat, and just, I just didn't feel good. And you know, when you don't feel good, you don't want to be around anybody. Isn't that right? I just didn't feel good. But as I improved and my family allowed me to come out of complete quarantine, um, they allowed me uh, to come back into their presence by having dinner with them. But my youngest daughter, Avery, she set up a dinner placement, dinner set for me away from the kitchen table. (laughs) Angela, Abigail, and Avery are having dinner way over there, and I have my own place set over here with a note from my daughter that said that this area has been set away from everyone for safety reasons. (laughs) (laughs) And then she said, enjoy. And it, it was good, but yet I was still separated. I got better, still want to do what the doctors tell me to remain in quarantine, still go into the mother-in-law suite, shut the door, and as I began to improve, but as I remained in quarantine, I began to weep. I began to miss something. And I missed my family. I missed their presence. I I missed the touches that we have during the day. Whether it's a high five, a fist bump, a hug, a kiss, wrestling, a hit, whatever. I began to miss their presence. And I sat there in quarantine and I just longed to be near. To be near, to touch, to be in their presence. And I just began to think And I just began to pray and, and process everything that was going on. And, and I began to think that many believer, many believer is missing the presence of God and they have spiritually quarantined their lives. And I see it so often that I see so often that P- 
people, our people, you, people that I know, people that you know, they're living spiritually impotent lives. They're powerless. And we'll talk about power next week, but they live defeated lives. They live lives that are filled with unrest. It's filled with um, um, uh, struggles, and it's just not filled with God's best. And they've quarantined themselves because they have not been in God's presence. Now, I, I know there are several reasons why people can miss God's presence. Let me give you a couple of them with you. Sometimes we just miss God's presence because we just don't feel good, your physical condition. You know how it is when you're sick, you just really don't want to do anything, do you? And sometimes you're physically, you're just not well. And if you're just not well physically, it's okay, don't, don't beat yourself up for that, but Shakespeare said this, it's hard to be a philosopher and have a toothache at the same time. I think that's pretty good. But sometimes our physical condition, because we're sick, we, we miss God's presence. Another reason why some of us miss God's presence and therefore have spiritually quarantined ourselves is because of this. We're walking in disobedience. You have sin in your life. You have unconfessed sin in your life. And folks, I, I know this from Scripture. I know from my own experience. I know it from seeing it in others' lives as well. That God is not going to show you something new until you do what he's already told you to do. Many of us walk defeated lives because we're not doing what God has already asked us to do. And because of that, we're missing God's presence because we're walking in sin. Sin is a separator. It's a divider. And it divides you from God's presence. Another reason why you may be missing God's presence and are spiritually quarantined is simply because of this. You're not sharing insight with others. You're not telling other people what God has done in your life. You're not telling people what God has been showing you or teaching you. You're not, you're not sharing with other people. And again, I know this from Scripture, I know this from my own experience, I know this from, from other people's experience, that, that if you just take in and never give out, you will dry up spiritually. And the nation Israel is a great example of that. There are two seas, two lakes in Israel. In the north you have the Sea of Galilee, in the south you have the Dead Sea. Two completely Opposites, opposite bodies of water. One, fresh, clean, thriving, people living all around it, still fishing in that area. Beautiful, the Sea of Galilee. Then you go down south in the southern part of Israel, you have the Dead Sea, barren, dry, dead. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. Now, why is the Sea of Galilee alive? Why is it green? Why is the Dead Sea dead? Well, I think it's fairly simple. The Sea of Galilee in the northern parts of Israel, it has something flowing into it. It has the Jordan River flowing into it from, from the mountains up north, from the Lebanese mountains that flow all the way down into the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. But the Sea of Galilee also has an output, the Jordan River. 
The Jordan River, which makes the, the eastern barrier of the nation of Israel. The Jordan River travels all the way down. But where the Sea of Galilee has an input and it has output, it is gorgeous, it is beautiful, it is alive. But the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea, why is it dead? Because it only has input. The Dead Sea does not have output. There's nothing that comes out of the Dead Sea. You have the Jordan River that comes in, and there it stagnates. Many of us don't share what we've learned. And I would just like to ask you right now, this week, did you share with anybody what you learned in your time with the Lord? Another reason why we may be missing his presence is because of this. We want to go into his presence. We want to be there. But when we get there, we just rush. We don't take time. One commentator said this, hurry is the death of relationships. If we want to be present with the Lord, we have to take time. We have to put down the device and get into his presence. Are y'all with me this morning? Well, what does the Bible say about being present with God? We've sung about being in his presence. We've looked at some reasons why we haven't been in his presence. But what does the Bible say? We always have to go back to what the Bible tells us. We just can't make up things. We've got to go back to his text. I want you to look with me in Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. I want to look at verses 12 through 15, 16. We'll look in that um, general area. But in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David is the king. We know that. Saul is no longer the king, but David is the king. And here's what, here's what the kings of Israel know. The kings of Israel, Saul knew this, David knew this. They knew that they needed God's power. They knew that God chose the nation Israel to be his spokesperson. They knew that they needed God's power. They knew that they needed God's anointing. And they knew that they needed God's presence. This goes all the way back to Moses leading the Hebrew people out of Exodus. Do you remember this story? God says, Moses, I want you to lead my people out. And Moses said this, I'm not going unless what? Okay, three of you know it. Very good. Wonderful. Unless your presence goes before me. The importance of God's presence. The kings of Israel knew that. David knows that. And so in the Old Testament, God's presence was wrapped up in one particular place. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. Now let's do some archaeology, shall we? The ark was actually a rather small box. It wasn't big. It was about four feet wide or long, two feet wide, two feet deep. It was not very, very big at all. It had two cherubim and their wings on the ends. And over the top of the ark was, was, was gold. And the Old Testament tells us this, that, that this box and this, this place that's called the mercy seat this is where the Shekinah glory of God resides. It's where his glory came down. It was in the temple and in the Holy of Holies, if you remember from the Old Testament. But this is where God's presence was 
evident. And so the ark in, in, in the nation of Israel, the ark represented God's anointing. It represented his presence. Now, there are a couple of things in the ark. You had, uh, the first thing you had in the ark was Aaron's staff that began to bud. And, and this represented uh, leadership and authority, meaning God, God's presence is the authority. Ultimately, we know in the New Testament that that's Jesus Christ. Another thing we see in the ark is we see, we see manna, manna from the wilderness. They put the manna, the bread, in the, a jar, and they put it in this ark. And this symbolizes that, that the presence of God is our bread. This is where we get our sustenance. This is where we get everything. It's from the presence of God. We know in the New Testament that's Jesus, the, the bread of life. We, we then see inside the ark, if you were able to look inside, you'd see, you'd see the, the Ten Commandments that have been engraved in stone, and which just simply symbolizes that, that there, there is a law, but Jesus is the fulfillment of that law. This is, this is the presence of God. And so here in 2 Samuel 6, David knows this. David knows that he needs the presence of God to go before him. But in chapter 6, the ark of the covenant is not... It's not in Jerusalem, and the Israelites don't even have control of it. The Philistines, the enemies of God, have taken the Ark of the Covenant. And the reason the enemies of Israel have taken the Ark of the Covenant because they know there's power in the presence. And so the enemy wants to take away your power. And whenever we're not in the presence, we lose our power. We'll pick up in verse number 12, chapter 6, verse 12. I want to share with you two things. I want to, share, I want to show you two things. I'm going to show you Savior time, and then I want to show you some spiritually quarantined time. And so, so David has, he's, he's gathered back to the ark, and now he wants to bring it into Jerusalem. Look at verse 12. Now it was told to King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. See? God's presence, it brings blessings. The David went and he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Verse 13, and so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And look at verse number 14, and it says this, And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Write that down as whitey tidies. That's what that means right there. He was in his undergarments. But look at our text. It says this, that David danced where? Before the Lord. Where's the presence of the Lord? It's in the Ark of the Covenant. It's the Shekinah glory. So David is in the presence of God. Do you get it? He's in the presence of God and he dances before the Lord. And he goes before, he says, I don't care what people think, I just want to be in his presence. And he's so focused and overwhelmed with the presence of God that he strips down to his undergarments and he says, I am going to dance before the presence. Notice it doesn't say he's dancing before the nation, he's not dancing before other people. Who's he dancing before? He's dancing before the Lord because he's in the presence of the Shekinah glory of God. This is Savior time. Folks, you and I, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, 
Because that he is our atonement, because of the blood of Jesus, you and I can enter into the presence of God. We have access to the presence of God. And may we dance like him when we spend time with the Lord in his presence. May we dance. Now look at verse 15 because something interesting happens. Here in verses 15 and 16, we see somebody who has been spiritually quarantined. Look at verse 15. So David and all the house of Israel... So David and all the house of Israel, as they're bringing up the ark of the Lord, they're shouting and have the sound of the trumpet. You can imagine that. Then it happened, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Jerusalem, that Michael, who's Michael? Michael is the wife of David, the daughter of Saul. She looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Michael is an example of a spiritually quarantined person. Why? She's not in the presence of the Lord. Do you see it? She's not in the presence of the Lord. Verse 15 says it, all the house of Israel. What does all mean? It means all. So everybody's out in the streets. Because the presence of God is coming down and they're out there and they're singing and they're shouting. They're playing the trumpet and there's a celebration because the presence of God has come. The Ark of the Covenant has come. But it says in verse number 16, but somebody has chosen to not be in the presence of God. Instead, they chose to stay in their quarantined room. You get the picture? It says this. It says, she looked out the window. Picture that. You got the glory of God, the presence of God. People are in the presence, and you have Michael who's looking out at it. You get the picture? She's living a spiritually quarantined life. Because, folks, here's, here's what I know. You and I cannot enjoy the presence of God. We cannot experience the presence of God if you don't join God where he already is. You can't say, well, I'm over here. God needs to be where I am. Are you with me? Yes, I know God's omnipresent, so yes, technically he, he is, he's everywhere. He's where you are. I get that. But you and I cannot say, God, you come bless me because I'm staying right here. Even though your presence and your movement is over there, I'm going to stay right here. Folks, you cannot experience the presence of God if you are not willing to get up out of your seat, move yourself, and put yourself into the presence of God. And this is what exactly Michael did. She did not want to move. She wanted to experience God's presence from a distance. Folks, you cannot experience the greatness and the glory of God from a distance. You can't do it. You can't do it. Now, yes, the presence of God, which is evident in the lives of the believers who are living their lives for Christ, they are like a light that shines in the world. And yes, that light shines, and other people are able to see that light shining. But, but the closer you get to that light, you become more and more into his presence. But you can't experience the presence if you do not draw near. And look at the last part of verse number 16, and it says this, and she despised him in her heart. Woo! Folks, you will never experience the presence of God if you despise somebody. 
particularly in our context, it says, she despised him according to his worship. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? We, we will not experience the presence of God if we despise somebody and how they worship. Let me give you an example. Um, I grew up La Mesa, Texas, Second Baptist Church. Not first, not third or fourth, but second. Um, we, hymnals, piano, organ, orchestra. I played the baritone in the church orchestra for one year. Praise God, I don't do that anymore. Because I don't know how to play the baritone anymore. Loved, loved, loved still hymns, old hymns. Our church was, we would sing verse 1, 2, and the last verse, every song. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I loved it. Still love it. I think it's great. That's what I cut my teeth on, and it's powerful, and I loved it. But when I went to college, I began, was introduced to, you know, uh, other music, um, and loved it too. I didn't hate one and despise the other. I liked both of them. But I remember one particular day where this, this kind of crystallized in my mind. This was, I'm in college, we're at a college worship service, and it was one of those moments, one of those worship services, um, where, where the Spirit's just moving. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's just moving. Yeah, I mean, you just feel it. I mean, it's, it's you're there, um, and you're, it's wonderful. You're in the presence of God. Uh, and then one of my classmates, um, sitting behind me, decided to step into the aisle. Now, I grew up in a Baptist church that, did, you know, like this. You, you know what I mean? I can't, I can't raise my hand. I can't. That's what I grew up with. Well, this person steps out of the aisle, and they start dancing. They don't have their shoes on, and she's waving a flag. This West Texas country boy, that freaked me out. It's like, what in the what is she doing? It was weird, man. It was weird. It was different. Um, it was charismatic. I wasn't interested in that, right? That, that's crazy. I'm going, what, what is going on? But I remember this moment. And I remember, I remember something, someone wanted me to despise her because she worshiped differently than me. Are you with me? What she was doing was not unbiblical. It was different. It was different. Now, because of that, today at home, I take off my shoes and I wave a flag whenever I worship, but uh, I don't. But I know people who do. I know people who do, and they're friends of mine. Praise God that in that moment in college that I did not allow the enemy to despise her because if I would have despised her, I would have been ushered out of the presence of God. Am I, am I making sense? 
the presence of God. Many of us miss his presence because we're too busy looking out the window in our own room. And the blood of Jesus says, you come to me. You come to my presence. You come be where I am. So, I'm going to do something different this morning. Kip, I'm not going to finish my next 17 pages of notes. Okay? Josh, I want you to go ahead and come up to the... As we move into taking the Lord's Supper, I want you to position yourself in the presence of God. Josh is going to start playing. He's going to lead us in a song in here in just a second. We're going to stay seated. But here's what I ask you to do. I just ask you to draw an imaginary circle around yourself. It's you and God. It's just you and God. And here's what I want you to do. I want you just to close your eyes. Josh, I'm just going to ask you to sing. I don't want you to sing, but I want you to listen to the words, how deep the Father's love for us. And just allow yourself to come into his presence where you say, Father, if there's anything that's keeping me from you, God, I I lay it down. As a matter of fact, one one of the things that I do when I I go into his presence, I I, I go in and and I sit down and I turn my hands down physically and I put them on my knees or on the floor or on the table and that symbolizes me giving him everything all my to-do list, all my issues or whatever. And so I just turn my hands over and spirit, I say, God, I give you this. I give you all this. I give you everything. And so I just tell him, God, I give you everything. Sometimes I don't have a lot. Sometimes I do. But when my mind is clear, does that make sense? Because you ever been trying to have time with the Lord and your mind is, things coming, things coming, boom, boom, boom. Because you're distracted. Let's put the devices down. And that's what it symbolizes. So these first few minutes, seconds, whatever, can you just symbolically do that and in your mind and your spirit give everything to God? Then once you've done that, just turn your palms up symbolically saying, God, I'm ready to receive what you have for me. And just let his love minister to your spirit. Can you do that right now? Just right where you are, close your eyes. Josh is going to sing. And just hear this, how deep the Father's love for us. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He would give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing the Father turns his face away, his wounds 
which marred the chosen one. Bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me I know that it is finished. Let's sing that first verse together to stay where you are. Josh, lead us in that first verse again. The words will be on yours on the screen. But let's sing how deep the Father's love for us. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He would give it. to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23, um, through several verses. This is regards the Lord's Supper. Um, but as I read this, if you, if you don't have a Lord's Supper um, juice or bread, would you raise your hand? We have ushers that will come to you to bring those. We have some up right over here. So guys, if you don't have a Lord's Supper, the bread, the juice, raise your hand right over here. Anybody else? Anybody upstairs? I think, I think we're good. I think we're good. All right, thank you. I want to read to you what Paul says about the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 and following, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on that night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often, verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But a man, woman, must examine himself or herself, and in so doing, they are to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 29 says, For who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. 
Verse 33 says, So then, my brothers and sisters, come together to eat. One of the things that Paul says about the Lord's Supper is this, is that we can't take it in a fashion that is unworthy. Meaning we have unconfessed sin and we have broken relationships. That's what it means. And Paul says that if we take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, verse 27, it says we are guilty. And this is what may cause sickness among you. And so Paul says in verse 28, because there is the possibility of taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, he says in verse 28, we must examine ourselves. So again, before we eat, before we drink, let's go to the Lord again into his presence, asking him to examine us. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, we as a body come together, the body of Christ, and we ask you to examine our heart. Father, see if there's any offensive way within us. Father, I pray that you would make it known so that we could confess and that we would make it right. Father, thank you for your body, which you broke for me. Paul said that Jesus said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24, he said, when Jesus had given thanks, he took the bread. So go ahead and take your bread. He took the bread. He broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. And without you, I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Lord, I need you Oh, I need you Corinthians 11.25 said this, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant. It's a new covenant in my blood. And do this whenever you drink it and do it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. What 
thank you thank you for your presence thank you for your death your burial and your resurrection and thank you that you're soon coming again may we today go and walk in your presence and in your power and in your glory in Jesus name we pray and everybody said in one voice Amen. God bless. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.